Hi, Michaela. Hello, Steve. So today I'm going to be asking you some more viewer questions. Great. And the first theme, we actually had several questions on this theme, is to do with sex in long-term relationships. One example, how to go back to married sex life after two years of nothing? I miss the intimacy more than the sex. Another one, tools to remedy the roommate stage in a long-term relationship. And a third one, how do you build it into your relationship after 10 years? Get out of a long, dry spell. Well, there's quite a few reasons why in long-term relationships that kind of um, question comes up and comes up for most people. And um, I'll list a few here and then we can go into some details on and some tools um, as we go along. So in general, when people um, are in long-term relationships, other things take over from, let's say the first flush of um, sexual enjoyment or the getting to know each other physically. And within that, there's an entire kind of course of um, engagement that has to take place for the relationship to solidify into something that's long-term sustainable. But that's quite shocking for most of us when, when that happens, because uh, what makes relationship interesting and exciting, particularly in the beginning and throughout life, is that sexual erotic play and is that kind of out of regular life engagement um, and with it the intimacy and the connection and um, you know a closeness and the bonding and the feel-good hormones and all of those things. So it's typically for most people and in you know in the in many years where I would see one-on-one -on -one clients, that was the main complaint was we are not sexually connected or it's not good or we're not doing it anymore. Um, you know, or things have gone somewhat strange and then infidelity and, you know, insecurity and things like that. So it's a very, very big topic. The first thing to know, um, and we talk about it in workshops, but I think it's important to say it again and again because people um, forget about that. So the first thing to know is that what makes the sex exciting and interesting and that whole erotic play even if the actual sex is not uh, so good yet because in the very very beginning it typically takes a bit till bodies get used to each other but then there comes this um, wave of really interesting engagement where there's that flush of first uh, excitement and there are all the feel-good hormones and there is this incredible erotic play of two people getting to know each other and that phase is typically then considered the gold standard for what happens later in the relationship which of course isn't uh, feasible in many domains but that's what we typically want and that's also uh, what we orient towards and of course that's also what we get to see in any movie or tv show or read in any book about that phase and so there's a huge misconception that that's the way it's always supposed to be and if it's no longer that way then uh, the relationship is essentially no longer good what actually happens is that the sexual aspect of the relationship functions on a very different set of behaviors and patterns and um, biochemical 
processes than the getting to know each other and finding out if it's a long-term relationship. And so um, the easiest way to say that is that the relationship part um, is based on sameness. Um, I always talk about birds of a feather stick together is the relationship aspect. And then opposites attract is the sexual aspect, the aspect that we sometimes call erotic friction, because it has that um, kind of two poles creating a spark. And within that, the more difference between the two people is, and the more newness there is, and the more excitement there is, the better the sexual arc of attraction, the, be the better the sexual spark. And then, of course, for the relationship, the more we have in common, the better the long-term outcome will be. And when people meet, the first thing that typically happens is they find commonality, and that commonality gets them to talk about things. They both discover, uh, I don't know, some obscure love for Japanese sea urchin or something like that. And that's like, oh, I like that too. Oh, I've been here too. So uh, we discover these similarities and that gets us going. Then we have that flush of newness that comes from opposites attract. And that makes for this really interesting, um, you know, play where people talk all night and have great sex and it's really exciting. And every time they brush up against each other, their whole body goes alive. And it's just this incredible moment in time. Then the more similarities are discovered and the more people do together, like for instance, now they have rituals, uh, you know, Monday, Sunday morning rituals together. They have common friends, they go places together. Maybe then they move in all of that brings them closer and closer and closer together. And therefore there isn't as big of an arc of attraction. So with that said, eventually there comes that moment where the relationship is very um, aligned and people are kind of in that same groove and life makes sense and it feels really good, but people find themselves sitting uh, on the sofa at night, you know, sharing a, a bowl of popcorn in their matching sweatsuits watching whatever is the newest show on TV. And it's really lovely, but it's not very erotic or exciting and nobody really wants to have sex. So that's a fairly common thing to happen in a relationship. And when that happens, people think that they have a relationship problem, but they actually just have an erotic uh, friction problem, meaning a, an attraction um, issue versus a uh, relationship issue. So relational problems are problems that are based on there not being sameness. So that would be communication, um, ideas about values, uh, you know, money, religion, things of that nature. Those are relationship problems. Erotic friction problems, so to speak, come from having spent too much time being the same and not pulling apart enough or not spending time away from each other enough, touching all the time, um, never giving the other person the space to kind of also be their own person. So that's typically what happens. And then as that happens, of course, the, the life that people build together also wears away the differences and wears away uh, that excitement because most of people's lives is logistics, 
right? So they have a house together, they have bills to pay together, they have jobs, then they have children, animals, you know, all of those kind of things. Maybe they even work together. So the entire time together becomes this thing that I sometimes call administrivia. It's just, what do we do? Where do we do it? What needs to happen? And that's the death of the erotic. So that's one of the reasons why these things happen. The other um, reason why these things can happen is that people um, pull apart in the sustainability of the relationship because their goals and values are not aligned and some kind of resentment builds. And that resentment then also uh, influences uh, their intimacy because there is something there where the um, the resentment of daily life makes it so that the body can't open to each other in that kind of erotic play and there isn't trust or there isn't a real willingness to turn towards someone so that can also happen and then once that happens of course and there's no longer body-to-body -body contact and there's no longer that kind of a play um, things can get pretty stark pretty quickly in the sex department and so the first question was um two years of no sex when there could be all kinds of reasons right it typically starts with something like um nobody feels like it and then as time progresses um it becomes more and more difficult to go back there oh that's interesting it seems you're categorizing some of the possible reasons why these dry spells might be occurring whether it might be a fading or a failing of sexual attraction, physical attraction in a long-term relationship. And you're discussing these two dynamics in relationship. That is the dynamic of a healthy relationship built on sameness and concordance and the need for some kind of freshness difference, perhaps even dissonance for an erotic feeling or novelty for an erotic feeling to naturally occur. Um, that seems to be, how you're laying that out. And, and so you said, well, the, it can be the case that the relationship is good, but that's where all the energy is, so to say. And so the dynamics of attraction aren't being tended to. And so they fail. And I think that's what the person was saying here, the roommate stage, this person was saying, no, it's going along really well, but best for friends, but there's no spark, so to say. So that's one category. You're also saying with this comment on resentment, it seems that it's possible also that the intimacy can fail because the relationship degrades to the point where um, the two people can't really turn towards each other in in the way that's required for physical intimacy um, in relationship. I think there may be some other other possibilities too. Two that come to my mind are health or stress challenges in life, periods of stress or difficulty, uh, or outside of the relationship or health challenges, physical, mental, and so on, in one or, one or both partners. This can also um, be a category, perhaps, of uh, interruption. Uh, another uh, previous traumas, this is often reported as something that's, you know, I can go, and we got a lot of questions like that, I can go this far, but no further. We'll deal with that in a separate podcast. Um, how to overcome trauma related to intimacy and begin to open up when one wants to. Another interesting category that we got several questions about was children, having children and finding it then hard to, one question here, 
being a first-time mom, it can be very hard to get into the mood and relax. Best advice, and we had lots like that, you know, since we've had children um, interrupted things, we haven't been able to get back to it as well. So, I mean, there are these, there's, I think, I suppose I've listed there five possible categories. I don't know if you have any comments on any more of those categories. We're focusing now on this dynamic of good relationship, getting on well with each other versus, um, or differentiated from hotness or uh, the spark of, of physical intimacy. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's worth uh, pointing all of them out, and um, like you said, I mean, you've we've between the two of us come up with five categories. There's probably more, but also, of course, what happens is these categories mix, mix and match in all different kinds of ways, and um, one of the things and one of the reasons why we're looking more at the hotness versus relationship is because that's something that can be much more easily addressed because they're dynamics right so um when when somebody comes with this particular issue it's of course always good to see if with a little bit of a change in in uh, the setup the dynamics can be changed but often when, once the dynamics have been changed the other things show up right and it i think is important to mention this because um, in the first question is like, well, we haven't had sex in two years. Well, it just happens also that those two years have been extremely stressful pandemic years. And for a lot of people, and uh, we hear this all the time, right, in workshops now, uh, that for a lot of people, now that there's kind of a tail end where the acute phase of the pandemic has passed, now people get to actually see all the cracks that have appeared or, or and they can feel all the traumas or injuries or stressors that have piled up and um, it's an odd moment in time because for a lot of people they kind of feel like they should just go back into their lives and things should be back to normal but there's this backlog of all of the things you talked about maybe having still some fatigue from having had COVID right maybe um, having, uh, you know, not been away from one's partner for years, working from home, raising children from home, um, you know, maybe even having parents. I spoke with somebody yesterday, the parents moved in at the beginning of the pandemic. They haven't had a moment to themselves. Uh, the bedrooms are next to each other. They were newly married. And, uh, you know, I mean, they have to have very, very quiet sex because it's just so weird having being an adult and having the parents of the husband next next door. Right. So there's all of those things that all kind of um, make it such that a lot of people don't have a lot of sex. And like you were saying, health and also exhaustion are definitely things to not look at lightly. One of the interesting things about sex and sexual desire and sexual engagement is that we are somehow um, all believing still and I think this comes you know it's partly folklore and partly also how people feel in their you know teens and 20s we're somehow led to believe that um, you know somebody always wants to have sex and uh, you know meaning it, it should be super easy to just 
get it on spontaneously. Uh, it's a sign of love or or a sign of desire that that one of the partners kind of always feels like it doesn't have to be at the same time, but there's this enticement and somebody wants to do it and then it just happens. And yeah, that's of course true when you don't have a lot going on. You can have a quickie on the kitchen table or something. You don't do that with two children and you know the parents in the house or or two children and a Zoom call five minutes from now or things of that nature. So that whole myth of sex being the spontaneous thing that just happens regardless of people's health, well-being, stress levels, um, and the same with after birth, right? When did it become the norm? And this, this, of course, is something we see a lot on social media. But even before then, there were people who would just pretend that um, having a baby, you know, is just a thing that you do and then you just go back to your regular life. Um, I remember I used to have a client, she had her hairdresser and her makeup artist come to the hospital after delivery of her first child so that for the photos of, uh, you know, of the first child with her husband, she'd look good. And that, of course, is a myth because it's an innately messy, doesn't mean you have to let yourself go forever or accept horrible circumstances, but that extra pressure to be perfect and sexy and have sex immediately again after uh, you've healed up or think, regardless of you know how much sleep you get and regardless of the fact that you're breastfeeding or, you know, those are big stressors and they will make the natural, easy sex drive go down. Yeah, that's very interesting. One of the points you made earlier on there was that when answering this question in a general way, of course, we're working with a couple, you can be very, very specific, but working in a general way, you like to address that first layer of relational dynamics, behaviors, routines, habits, etc., um, that might be quenching the possibility of erotic connection and arranging that in such a way that, well, now there's maybe a chance. And you've also said that when you do that at that so somewhat superficial level, sometimes that fixes it. Other times that reveals layers beneath of reason, which fall generally into the other kind of categories we've been talking about. Um, so perhaps uh, to end this particular podcast, we'll come back to those other, those other deeper reasons in future episodes. I wonder if you could give two or three tips, I suppose, on how to, how to arrange those dynamics. I know you often talk about uh, touch, spending time apart and time, not mixing time, logistical time with intimate time and so on. So I don't know if you might want to make some comments on those on those particular pieces of advice. Yeah, so the big dynamics here to give some very practical things that anybody can try at home. Um, and I think the biggest of the big dynamics is to spend time apart. It's very, very important that the bodies are not together all the time every day, all day. It really kind of desensitizes people to each other when they're constantly in the same space. You barely take any um, notice of that person if they're constantly there. And even worse, if they're constantly rubbing up against you and touching you, uh, that's really not good for the nervous system to create that uh, separation that creates the attraction. 
So having time apart, and that can be as simple as maybe working in separate rooms when it's when both people work at home, right, and not constantly seeing each other, um, having some time away from each other in a way that's rejuvenating and regenerative, and that might be being out with friends or being out in nature or even taking some time away from each other for a weekend apart. Uh, those are super important things. Um, the more that can be done, some people take that to the extremes of they have separate bedrooms and only come together when they are somewhat rejuvenated and they feel like it, but not everybody has the space or the willingness to do that. But at least before you want to engage a much more intimate um, time together, spend some time apart. The next thing, of course, is when two heads meet at the end of the day, meaning you've been thinking, thinking, thinking all day and doing, doing, then the bodies aren't really open to the engagement and there isn't a lot of willingness. There might be tiredness or even just numbness from having spent so much time um, in the, you know, in the head that um, it's really important to come back to the bodies. And coming back to the bodies once again could be taking a walk, doing some yoga, having a bath, dancing around, putting some music on, uh, doing a simple foot massage, rolling on the grass with the puppy or something like that. Anything that brings the body back online. And then uh, the other thing, of course, is that uh, for most people, spontaneous sex isn't really an option anymore for all kinds of reasons. So while that in the beginning feels just like such a horrible chore, um, scheduling time for intimate connection is super important. Now, I would always suggest that you don't schedule time for sex because that's a lot of pressure. But spending time where it's just the two people doing things and speaking about things and having time together as two people who like to have sex is super important. And that brings us to maybe the, the single most important aspect, which is when people get to do that, sometimes called a state night discipline. Right? When people do that, then you have to discipline yourself to not bring the entire administrivia back into that moment of the date. Even if the date isn't necessarily sexual to begin with, but you're sitting somewhere at a nice dinner or you're sitting out having a picnic watching the sunset, you have to have the discipline not to load up all the things that need to be done and not to talk about what the dog did at the vet this morning and which bill needs to be paid and who picks up the kid tomorrow morning. You'll have to come up with something else to talk about and ideally something that makes you interesting to the partner. Well, thanks, Michaela. That was very fascinating and, and very useful indeed. Thank you.